Shalom. This week's Parsha is Parsha Tetzaveh, and we are the Toronto Torah Podcast, brought to you by Beit Midrash Zichron Dov. Each week, we will offer a different view on the weekly Torah portion. One conversation a week, every week. And today, Rabbi Mordechai Turchiner, Rosh Beit Midrash, and Rabbi Stephen Gottlieb of Rech will discuss Parshat Tetzaveh. Hello, Rev. Stephen. Hello, Rev. Turchiner. How are you doing today? Thank God, doing well, and very excited about being here for the podcast for Parshas Tetzaveh because it's my Bar Mitzvah Parsha. Oh, love so. Thank you. And not only is it my Bar Mitzvah Parsha, it really resonates with me. We're going to be talking about themes of clothing and art and beauty and fashion, and I think no one is better suited for that than myself, as you can tell from my wardrobe. Um, so I'm really uh, very excited to be presenting on this topic. In order to grasp Tetzaveh, I want to go back for a second to last week's parsha, to Truma. Right? Truma dealt with the structure of the Mishkan, the tabernacle that the Jews used to serve Hashem as they traveled through the Midbar, through the wilderness. We had a description of all the furniture, all the things you're going to need for the sake of the Mishkan, except for one item that's actually going to come at the end of Tetzaveh. But Tetzaveh begins with a description of the oil used for the menorah, and then it focuses on the special uniform of the Kohanim, the descendants of Aaron who carried out the services in this mishkan, this tabernacle. It describes eight garments, four of which are worn only by the Kohen Gadol, the head Kohen. All of them are woven from threads of dyed wool and linen, as well as gold. The garments worn by every Kohen were the Ketonet, which is a long linen shirt, the avnet, which is a belt that might have actually been wool and linen, shatnes for all the kohanim, that's a big discussion in its own right, mitznefet, which is a linen hat like a turban, and michnasayim, a linen undergarment. And the kohen gadol also had a belt. His belt and his hat were a little bit different from those of the, uh, the kohanim, but then the kohen gadol had four additional garments. Over the ketonet and the avnet, he wore a me'il, which was a wool tunic of treles. Uh, over the me'il, the Kohen Gadol wears an ephod, a colorful woven wool vest. Over the ephod, the Kohen Gadol wears a choshen, a breastplate of colorful woven threads that had 12 gems set into it, one for each of the tribes. And on the head of the Kohen Gadol is the gold tzitz. It's a plate. It has the words kodesh lashem, sacred to God, engraved on it. And the parsha then details the process of dedicating the Kohanim to Hashem. There's a whole week-long program which is going to be described at length in the parsha of Tzav and Shmini to prepare the Kohanim and dedicate them for their service. The parsha concludes with a description of one last piece of Mishkan equipment, the altar that they used for the ketoret, for the incense. That altar was located inside the Mishkan, made of wood, coated with gold, smaller than the copper altar that we talked about last week, and that concludes the parsha of Tetzaveh. Thank you so much, Robert Turchiner, for that incredibly insightful summary of the Parsha. At least half of that was relevant to me once we have the base of Migdash rebuilt as a Kohen, so I appreciated the info. On that note, I want to focus really on this idea of the Big Day Kahuna, the clothing that the Kohanim, and particularly 
the coin gadol wears. And I want to ask, is it a mitzvah? What's the deal if it is or isn't? And how do we view it? And three of the great thinkers of the Jewish tradition talk about this issue. Rav Sadia Gaon says that the specific mitzvah is actually the communal obligation to make the garments, that the community creates them, gives them to the Kohanim, and that's that. The Rambam, Maimonides, says that the mitzvah is for the Kohanim to wear the garments. Making them is what we'd call a heksher mitzvah, the preparation for a mitzvah, but not the mitzvah itself. The mitzvah itself is when the Kohanim actually use them for their intended purpose. The Ramban, Nachmanides, says that there doesn't appear to be a mitzvah for Big Day Kahuna at all. Rather, both the Kohanim wearing it and the community putting together is all just part of this greater heksher mitzvah, this greater preparation for the mitzvah of avoda, of serving Hashem, of performing the worship in the temple. And I want to take those ideas of what it looks like in conversation with a fascinating piece I read from Rabbi Jonathan Saxatzel. He wrote in, Co in Covenant and Conversations from a few years ago that Judaism doesn't believe in art for art's sake. Rather, it believes in art in the service of Hashem. That at the end of the day, we are creating these essentially pieces of art for the Kohanim to wear as they represent us, as they represent Israel, I should say, in service of literal avodat Hashem, the worship of Hashem, but ultimately in something that the community is providing. We can think about it maybe as sort of a public art exhibit that the community is putting on. And just like how most art exhibits have a theme that each piece is trying to bring out in a particular way, that different artists put together having their own voice in, their own unique uh, use for, so, so too, these unique pieces of clothing that are put together by Israel are really put on display. But unlike the Greeks, it wasn't a holiness in the beauty itself. It wasn't about what can we as individuals do and celebrate to make the most of ourselves in this, but it was really a communal exhibit. It was an aesthetic within a greater service of avoda. And I think that's something that's incredibly important to think about as we think about the purposes of these garments. Thank you, Rev. Steven. I love the idea of the Big Day Kahuna, the garments of the Kohanim, as a public art installation. I, I, think, that's, I think that's fascinating. Um, I would note that it's, it's public art not in the sense of the design, since Hashem is telling them what to do, how to do it, what it should look like, but in terms of the role that it plays, the message that it conveys, that's really the, you know, the art piece of it that the, uh, that the people are, are generating and that the people will ultimately respond to. I want to come back, though, to this comment that you brought from Rabbi Sachs. Like many comments of Rabbi Sachs, it sounds really beautiful. And then I start thinking about it and realize I don't know what he meant. Um, and I need to go back and, and, and revisit. And, and that's, what I, that's what I want to do. Um, with his point, and particularly about um, Israel and Greece, because um, I see a relevant point in terms of how the Jews and the Greeks classically viewed beauty and the role of these big day kahuna, the, uh, the clothing of the Kohanim, to make, to make a, a long sheer short. Um, Plato taught that beauty is a sign of perfection, right? That which is a perfect expression of whatever ideal is perceived as beautiful and we are attracted to it, especially if our souls are refined, we find perfect things beautiful. Judaism, on the other hand, 
argues that perfection is not always recognized as beautiful. Something can be wonderful and yet not be attractive. Our job is to beautify it, to bring it honor and glory, right? Hidur mitzvah, the idea of beautifying mitzvah is part of that. And what we do in the Mishkan, I think, is an example of that. That's what this art installation does. You know, the Torah stresses that you're supposed to create these big dekihuna, lechavod ulisifares, for honor and for glory, for splendor. And we did that with the structure described in the previous parasha in Truma, and we do it with the clothing as well, recorded here in Tetzave. But I'm going to go further with that, because not only is this about us glorifying and beautifying the Mishkan, but it's also about the glorification and beautification as a responsibility. Tanakh reacts harshly, even violently, when Kohanim fail to live up to this and instead bring ugliness to the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdash. If you think of Chafni and Pinchas, the sons of Eli, who abuse their power and abuse the people who are coming to the Mishkan, and Hashem brings this terrible punishment in which he destroys the family line. I utterly, and you see it throughout Shmuel until the beginning of Malachim, the, the way God dismantles this, uh, this line. Yirmiyahu and his lectures to the Kohanim of his day, Chagai and Malachi and the Kohanim of their day in the beginning of the second base Hamikdash. It actually reminds me of the line from Mishlei, um, Nezem Zahav Ba'af Chazir, right? A gold ring in the nose of a pig, right? I think in English the phrase is lipstick on a pig. The, uh, if the Kohen wears the big day kahuna, wears this beautiful clothing that's meant to glorify the service and meant to say this is perfect, um, but isn't perfect, but in fact is living a terrible life, that's, that's what Mishlei is, uh, is warning us about, and that's what we saw, unfortunately, repeatedly um, in the history of the Beit HaMikdash. So the big day kahuna, to me, are not only a beautification of that which is perfect, they also express a responsibility to beautify that which is perfect. This does raise a really big question in my mind, though. Where are the instructions for the individual? What's the individual Kohen supposed to be feeling, and how do we know that that's the experience they're supposed to get? It reminds me of a fascinating piece I read from Ruf Steinsaltzatzel, where he talks about the idea of the Mishkan representing two fundamental components in forming the creation between the heaven and the earth. He says the first component is the vessels. There are tools there that are meant to be used, but as we know, an empty vessel doesn't have anything in it. Maybe air, but it's hard to say that that's meaningful in a significant sense. The second component of the, tabern of the Mishkan is its internal dimension. It's the person who uses it and uses the tools in it to achieve that connection. What allows for the system to operate is that inclusion of the human element, Rufsteinzelt says. The people themselves who are charged with ensuring that the walls don't remain merely walls, but are able to actually accomplish their purpose in making this connection between the human and the divine, between the finite and the infinite. It reminds me almost of a piece of IKEA furniture where you have, this, uh, you have all the tools given to you, you have an instruction manual, but without the human being taking the hammer and nails, putting it together and understanding what it's supposed to look like, it's not necessarily going to end up well. You know, I, re I remember when I bought an Ikea daybed and was putting it together, and I'd end up inevitably, this happened both times we put it together, not really intending what it was supposed to be, so when I was putting it together, I'd accidentally trap myself inside of the pieces, and we need to then take two steps back so I can get out, 
and then finish putting it together, knowing now what it's supposed to look like and not having a human trapped inside of it. So we really need to have this sense of directionality, this sense of values that we're actually putting into it ourselves. And without that, there's a part missing, without having that big picture. So where's the big picture in this? Where's the image that the coin is supposed to have so that he himself can put his all into the Savoda as opposed to just rote practice? That was great, Riff Steven. Now we have Torchiner talking about fashion. Right? And or Steven talking about putting together furniture. Right? We're, we are the experts here on our, on our podcast. <laughs> this is great. Um, but seriously, in terms of what you just said and the, the very strong question of, so why don't we have instructions for the Kohenim about how they're supposed to behave? Like, why are we focusing so much on the furniture and the clothing if what's really important is the character of the Kohen? Um, I think that actually might explain the juxtaposition of Mishpatim and Truma. Right? There's a classic debate about when we received the instructions for the Mishkan. Was this something that was before, it was earlier, or does it happen after? And the problem is, how does it fit with the golden calf? When the golden calf took place, Moshe couldn't have given these instructions between the time of the Aseres Hadibros, the Ten Commandments, and the time of the golden calf. So when, when was this? But after you get through that question of when these instructions were given, you have to address the fact that the Torah ignores that issue and simply says, look, here are the laws of Parshas Mishpatim. Here is creating the Mishkan. Why are they juxtaposed? Why are they put together? The answer may be that Mishpatim, which includes so much that speaks to human character and human relationships, um, that's not exclusively what's in Mishpatim, but it's a lot of what's in Mishpatim. Maybe that's there before Truma Tetzave in order to say, first, we're discussing your conduct. Then we're getting to the Mishkan furniture and the clothing of the Kohanim and their beauty and all of that. I think that, that actually, I, I think that speaks really well to your point. It also, I think, is important in terms of the last item recorded in Tetzave, the Mizbach HaKetaret, the Mizbech that's used for, for incense. I think I mentioned before, it's really a throwback to Truma. Truma was supposed to be the furniture. Why is the Mizbech for the incense, you know, an afterthought? At the end of the at the end of Tetzave. so you know, many years ago, I had the the wonderful mazel to meet a sefer called Taras Haola. Taras Haola is actually a three volume sefer written by the Rama. I think I, I first saw this when I was a rabbinic intern in Englewood, so it would have been 1996, um, and uh, I was I was teaching about Karbanos and trying to find different ways to explain this very odd and difficult practice of, of animal sacrifice. Well, the Rama, Rabbi Moshe Isserlis, is best known, I think, for writing what we consider the Ashkenazi part of the Shulchan Aruch, of the Code of Jewish Law. And without a doubt, you know, I think that's pride of place in, in his uh, publications. Nonetheless, Taras Haola is a fascinating blend of, on the one hand, Zohar, and on the other hand, Marinavuchim, the Rambam's Guide of the Perplexed, in one. And he tackles all the parts of the Mishkan, he tackles the different types of sacrifices and celebrations that go on in the Beis HaMikdash, explaining all of them with a blend of Rambam's philosophy and Zohar mysticism. It's wonderful, it's amazing. And for those who wanna know more about Karbanos, I highly, highly recommend his introduction to the second volume of Torah Ola, where he goes through 14 different 
explanations for Carbonos by his day in the 16th century. The, uh, it's a really a remarkable read. But on this point about the Mizbacha Ketores that's at the end of Tetzave, he says, Ketores, incense, is parallel to the human being. The human being's heart, when performing its finest deeds, is like the incense on the altar. You know, you have the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos that says one of the miracles in the Beis Hamikdash is that the smoke from the incense always goes straight upward. That's the human being's heart. And so he says, like Adam is the last being brought into creation, right? Like a prince for whom the king has prepared everything. So the Ketores comes into the Mishkan last. After everything else is prepared, it's the heart of the human being, which you emphasized, the, uh, that, that really makes things go, so to speak. It's the battery that you, uh, that you put in at the end that powers everything. And it's also what's behind the warning we receive at the end of the Parsha. The vessels are important. The clothing of the Kohanim are important. But at the end of the Parsha, we're warned, don't bring a Ketores Zara. Don't bring foreign incense. Make sure that it's what it's supposed to be. And there's a lot more to be said about that, but I think I've lectured long enough. So I want to take that point and expand it a little bit. I'm actually reminded of a Sichas Musser that I heard from Rav Jeremy Wiederschlita, who's one of my teachers in rabbinical school, actually about this, uh, this idea. So he says that the Kohen Gadol, where the tzitz, which obviously has Hashem's name right there on it. But Chazal say, he also wore tefillin. So why on earth do you need tefillin when you already have Hashem's name right there on you? What's it adding? And Rav Weider said that the Kohen Gadol, adorned with these beautiful expensive garments that even has Hashem's name on full display, still needs to wear his tefillin because ultimately, all of those garments, all those nice clothes are really external. They're nice, but they're all on the surface. It doesn't say anything about who he is internally. But the tefillin, on the other hand, are a reminder that genuine religious personality involves being suffused with Hashem's holiness throughout our entire being. That at the end of the day, we need to have an internal experience as well. And these two, actually complement each other. That at the end of the day, the human internal subjective relationship is just as important to maintain as this external beauty, this external showing of who we are as a people. I think that gives a tremendous message to all those out there who aren't Kohanim Gedolim, who aren't Kohanim, but who are just you know, Jews in the pews, as they say. People who are really going about our religious lives trying to make it what we can, but understanding that we have a greater purpose. And I think this idea really speaks to that, that no matter what clothing we're wearing, no matter what style of kippah it may be, no matter how we present ourselves as Jews, it needs to come with an internal, genuine experience of the holiness that we're bringing into the world as Hashem's chosen people, as a mamlechet kohanim vegoi kadosh. Rav Stephen, I'm so glad that you made the tzitz and tefillin connection because it reminds me of a really, really beautiful idea from Rav Yosef Dov Soloveitchik. Uh, in his hesped, his eulogy for Rav Chaim Mozer Grzynski, uh, Rav Soloveitchik, the Rav, uh, identified two polar opposites in the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. On the forehead, the Kohen Gadol wears that tzitz, right? That gold plate with the words, Kodesh Lashem, sacred to God. 
On his chest, the Kohen Gadol wears the Choshen, the breastplate that has the gems representing the Jewish people. So Rav Salvechik explained that tzitz represents the head, the intellect where you answer halachic questions. This is permitted, this is prohibited, this is pure, this is impure. The Choshen, on the other hand, rests on the heart, the place of love, of affection, of sensitivity, and the Kohen Gadol is supposed to lead the nation with that sensitivity in matters of war, in matters of public policy. The Kohen Gadol is not simply a computer answering halachic questions. There's that other dimension to the Kohen Gadol's identity. I see both of those in the tefillin, right? The tefillin shel rosh, the head tefillin sits on the head, the mind, which is Kodesh Lashem, sacred to God. And the Shalyad, we think of it as the armed fill-in. However, halachically, we're taught it's supposed to be specifically Keneged Halev. It's supposed to be next to the heart. The, you know, what lefties do with that, I leave that to, uh, to them to figure out. Nonetheless, it's supposed to be beside the heart. So your, your tefillin has both the tzitz component and the, the choshen component. And when we wear those, and for those who are not wearing tefillin, when we use our head and our heart for mitzvos, we become like Kohanim Gedolim in our own lives. We have our own version of the big day kahuna, this l'chavod l'sifares, this beauty and this, and this honor and this splendor in the actions that we undertake with our head and, uh, and with our heart. Thank you so much, Robert Tuchiner. That was really insightful and really meaningful. Thank you very much, for Stephen, for your reflections on not only the Mishkan and Parshas Tetzaveh, but also furniture design. Um, I, I think uh, we, we, we've really accomplished something today. Uh, if only to teach people, when you want to build IKEA furniture, make sure you're on the outside, not the inside. That's all for today. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe, share, and like this podcast. And follow us, Beit Midrash Zichron Dov, on Facebook and Instagram. We'll be back next week with a new conversation on a new Parsha. Thank you and goodbye.